I just want to read Psalm 23 together just for a moment. Nothing to do with my sermon, but I just think it's just a good reminder for each and everybody. Who our God is. He's the shepherd. I will lack nothing. I don't know what you're going through in your life. But the promise is I will lack nothing because he is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. If you're running dry, you know where to go to. He's the living water. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths, uh, right paths for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray this morning He quietens our spirits with all that is happening to hear what He has to say for us today. Through the worship and the singing, He is still speaking. He speaks all the time on the way out here and the way when you leave. He is speaking. I pray that God will quieten our hearts, will help us quieten our hearts too, to hear from Him. Amen. I just... I don't know. I love God. God never fails. You trust in Him. He will not let you down. We've been talking about authentic Christianity. And we've been looking at some identifying features and marks of authentic Christianity. Because again, the world always, always, always takes the extreme. Takes the extreme. These guys who play with snakes and, you know, get bitten and all that. And they portray that as Christianity. They take some, if I can use the word, cuckoo Christians. And they say, here, this is who you are. They point at someone, point at someone's fail. That's a Christian. They point at their failures and say, hey, this is what Christians are all about. Everybody, our families point at us. Hey, you know, they point at our failures and like, hey, you know, this is what Christianity is all about. And like, you know, we don't want anything. They got to learn. It's never about us. It's about Christ. Amen. You want to walk away from the church? Don't, please don't ever blame someone else for you walking away from Christ. It's your choice. Amen. That's right. That's right. I'm not negating people who've been really hurt by the church. I'm not saying that at all. But the truth is this. It's you and Christ. What has He done to you that you have walked away Quit playing the game, you know, blame game. That's what they did all the way there. No, Adam cheated it. No, the serpent did it. If you want to be authentic, look to Christ. 
look to Christ. The Bible is full of examples of flawed people. Not one perfect person in the word of God except for Jesus. Yet their lives are an example to us on how we ought to live our lives too. And so quit making excuses that there aren't any perfect Christians. So I say, welcome to the club, because they really aren't perfect Christians. Right, amen. <laughs> Looking for the perfect church? You're in the wrong place, right? You'll never find a perfect church. Authentic. My spirit is so stirred, I don't know why. But <laughs> talking about authentic Christianity and identifying marks of authentic, and we looked at faith, we looked at joy, we looked at forgiveness, we looked at hope. And this morning, I want to talk about something that really I'm passionate about, but also challenges me. Because I want to look at generosity today. But before we look at our text and discuss a little about the background, and as, means of an, uh, uh, as a means of introduction, let me say this. Because people go to church for many reasons, Right? You know, some of them just go to show off the new dress or, you know, my new car that I got. That's okay. But people go for even, like I said, you know, some people, hey, I love the sermon. I love the singing. I love hanging out with friends. Or I love the connection. I love the fellowship and everything else. And I'll be honest, growing up as a kid, I always looked forward to offering time. Not setting myself up here as some kind of awesome guy, but not sure why, but I always got excited about grabbing the money from my parents' hand and putting it into that bag that came around, you know? Maybe because I, I didn't understand, you know, the money is not mine, that's why I gave it away pretty freely. <laughs> but I got, ex- you know, excited when that bag would come around and you know, you know what I'm talking about? It was always that velvet bag that yeah. felt so good. I don't know. There was something about it, having that money to put it in. But as I grew older, it lost its appeal, to be honest. And I think it's probably because I didn't understand what I was doing. I mean, I had the sense, you know, all that stuff. But it was, I don't know if I was the only one. When it was a small offering, I would just crush it up that bill so small that no one saw it and I put it in there deep in there especially if there were coins I didn't want it to you know people don't know but if it was a big bill I was like waiting for the back to come along and drop it in I don't know I don't know if I was the only one who did that but it lost its appeal as I grew older but when I got to college and when I got serious about my faith and started studying God's word more let me be honest it just blew my mind away and this morning I I'd like to suggest something to you. Because if you really understand scripture and you really understand what God has promised, the thing you must most look forward to is offering time. Now I know we give most of it online and everything else, but let me tell you this. We all should look forward to giving. Tithes, offerings, whatever. Because according to scripture, that is the direct pipeline to blessing. That's it. In fact, every Christian should be eager and anxious and thrilled about the opportunity to give generously and sacrificially just based on two statements that Jesus makes. Two verses. And if honestly, if, you, if the Bible had nothing to say about giving except for these two statements, those statements are more than enough for us to run up and line up to give God. 
an offering. First one I want to look at this morning again is, this is not my primary text, but I feel so strongly about this is Luke 6.38. It's a verse that we all know, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be, or measure you give, it will be measured to you. Now, some might think, you know, that's tithes and offerings and every, all this giving is purely Old Testament principle because, you know, the Old Testament principle, you know, when you give, God pours out a blessing, but we know it's not. We know the, the whole principle Paul talks about time and time again. He said, you, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow generously, you're going to reap generously. It's just the same principle. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. God says this, God is going to measure out to you in proportion to what you have been given. Not equal, it's always a lot more. But it's still in proportion to how you give and what you give. Doesn't mean if you give 100, God's going to give you 110. No, it's good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. And I know that imagery of pouring it into your lap is kind of in a Western uh, worldview, you don't get it. But growing up in India, you see this quite a lot. If you've seen my, sometimes when I wear my Indian outfit, what you call a kameez, you know, the uh, salvar kameez, it's, it's a tunic that's low, and you see this. You know, and you go up and you see these people come around. All they do is just they lift that outside garment a little in their lap and they pour the food into that. And that's the idea he's talking about right here. All you do is turn, you kind of make like a pocket basically, a bag right there with your tunic and they pour it. The idea is used in Ruth. When Ruth is with Boaz, Boaz says, hey, lift your thing up a little. And he pours the grain into that. That's the idea, poured into your lap. When something... You know, it lands in your lap. You know, it's not something you work for, deserved. It's just lavished when it falls in your lap. And he fills it. You know, that's the imagery right here. The principle, however, simple. simple. Faithfulness and generosity in giving results in greater reward from God. It's just a principle. You want blessings from God. You want it to be poured out to you. You want it to be this overflowing that's pressed down, shaken together. Then give if you want to be blessed by God. Just a principle. And now I'm not going all prosperity gospel on you and, you know, setting you up for some kind of thing. No. But the most direct route to be blessed by God is to give. It's just a principle in the Bible. If that's the only verse in the Bible on giving, that's more than enough. It should make us, that verse itself should make us sacrificial givers. Because it teaches us that we can never outgive God. You give Him something, He gives it back. What? Just load it up, load it up. That's the principle. You can never outgive God. And if, you, if that doesn't motivate you to give, I don't know what will. Second statement, second verse is in Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
again, you got to realize, side note, Acts uh, 20, uh, where this verse is mentioned in Acts 20, 30, uh, 35, it's more blessed to, be, to give than to receive. That's the, only, that's the only quotation of Jesus outside the Gospels. That's the only thing. And it's kind of surprising if you think about what John says. John says everything that he did, everything that he said, there's not enough books to write about it all. But that's the only quotation, only place where Jesus is quoted in the whole New Testament outside the Gospels. Now, you, you can't really consider Revelation because that's not his earthly ministry. That's later on what he's talking about. That's kind of interesting, like I said, side note on that. But it simply says this. The only quotation outside the gospel says this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's pretty simple, really, church. When you give away, it brings greater blessing upon your life. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing mysterious. There's nothing you have to really try and decipher in there or interpret. It's plain and simple. Simple, simple principle. Do you want to be blessed? Then give. If you want to be blessed, then give. Faithful and generously. Do, do you want to receive a pressed down, shaking together, running over gift from God that lands in your lap? Then give. I told you it's not an easy message to preach. It challenges me, but I'm really passionate about this. Because you have right here two incredible promises of blessing and generosity from God. And we keep arguing and we keep uh, getting annoyed and getting mad and struggle. Why am I not being blessed? If here's a principle right there. Promises and blessings and generosity from God who is the source of everything. Who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Who has the power to get you wealth and everything else. Health, I guess. You give you all that you have, all that you will ever need. Here are the promises here. But here is the simple thing. Give. Amen. Let me be honest. Too many Christians don't believe in that promise. They carry around the idea that they have to protect everything. They have to hang on to everything. But it's really a matter of faith, church. That's all it really is. They don't believe in the promises of the word of God. Otherwise, they would give. Faithfully, generously, sacrificially. It's a question of faith. It's a question of trust. You either believe God and what he says or not. That's it. If you do, you give because you believe. You give and you get more. You are blessed. Giving causes. Please understand. Giving causes God to give back to you in abundance. You can never outgive God. Get that in your mind. You can never outgive God. And let me be honest again because it's simple here. Giving is, isn't really a choice here in this passage. It is a command when it says give. It's in, in the imperative. It's give. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, if you want to, you give. No, it's give. So it is a question not just of faith and trusting His promise. It's also a question of obedience. Faith or trust and obey. There's no other way, right? right. Trust and obey. Those are the key keys. Essentials to a Christian living, believe God's promises and obey His commands. You have to have both of them. The command is give and the promise is that it will come back. Press down, shaken together in abundance. That's it. So if you had to boil it all down, church, 
giving really is an issue of faith and obedience. It's an issue of trusting God. Am I going to trust Him? And am I going to obey Him? It's not complicated. Don't let all these people who are on TV asking for money for their own lifestyle. That's not what it's about. Just get to the Word and see what it says. Amen. That's it. It's not complicated. It is not complicated. But you've got to realize this. The opposite of this also applies. I was talking to a man and I said, he's like, you know, I was saying, he said, no, I, I don't care if I don't get blessed in this area. But realize when you don't do something, you might not get blessed, but you can't escape the curse that comes along with it too. So if you're blessed when you give, when you don't give, it's a sin. I know it sounds harsh. I know, look, oh man, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. It's not complicated. Amen. Why are you sinning? Because you're not trusting Him. Why are you sinning? Because you're not obeying Him. That's what sin is. Simple verses, like I said, these two verses just ought to make us, should just make us want to jump out of our seats and line up to give generously, faithfully, unselfishly, sacrificially. I could keep adding words to that. But all it needs to really do is make us faithful givers when it comes to God. Yeah. My primary text that I want to go through is found in 2 Corinthians, and it's 8 and 9 carries this whole idea here. But we want to look at some believers who did both. They both believed and obeyed God. And, and, and by their example, it sets, us, uh, sets up a pattern of what it means to be authentic Christian in terms of our giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I just want to read from verses 1, 2, and 3. And I'll reference other verses through the... I'm sorry, our online, our internet went down. And so. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They weren't pushed, they weren't blackmailed, they weren't coerced and weren't, you know, tricked into doing something. It was entirely on their own. You got to realize when this is written, of course, it's the beginning. Uh, the whole background here is that they basically, and back then, not just the Macedonian church, but the churches in general, the believers then, they generally supported the uh, gave in two, two, uh, two main ways. And first of all, part of the giving was what? To support the ministry and the leadership of the church. That was one reason they gave. They had, just like the Old Testament, the Israelites had the responsibility to come to the, you know, to support the temple and the ministry at the temple. Same way, the early believers, they came on the Lord's Day, basically, and they was the idea that they gave to support the ministry and the leadership of the church. And the second reason they gave was for the general other believers around so that the needs of the people may be met. Okay, and so they supported the needy and those who were really poor and, you know, in, 
so they did that. So they supported the ministries of the church, the church, and as well as the needy people around. That's why they gave. Those were the main two reasons that they gave. And here's the thing. Not just the needy people in that church. It was the needy people in the church across the world. That was the idea. That's why we support missions here. We've been blessed in America beyond measure. And so that's the main reasons that people gave. So anyway, 2 Corinthians, we come to our text, 2 Corinthians 8. We look now, what's the reason behind why Paul is writing this? He's writing this to the church in Corinth, but he's using the example of the church in Macedonia. What's happening back here? Jerusalem, the church, is struggling right now. And if you read church history, Jerusalem, the church, always struggled. It was a poor church. The reason, and you can think about the several reasons. One is, realize what happened in Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. There was only a few people. All of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, you have like 3,000 people added. And it says, another few verses later, it says 5,000 people. This is all happening in Jerusalem right now. Now, you got to think about these. Most of these people weren't from Jerusalem. They were from outside that they had come in. Okay. Not everybody left to go back. In fact, they say the majority of them stayed there in Jerusalem because now they found this new faith. They found these new brothers and sisters in Christ. Why would they go back? There's nothing much to offer back there unless they were like businessmen or whatever out there, you know. They didn't have much, so they settled down right there. And guess whose responsibility, uh, responsibility was it to take care of them? The other brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, if you want to call it that. And so there was always so many people that there was this kind of poverty in there because not all of them had the means to Another reason is, where do you think the Jews persecuted them the most? In Jerusalem. That's where it all started. I mean, if there's one thing they held on to, it was the holy city. And how do you bring this blasphemy in here? And so they were severely persecuted in Jerusalem. So they were poor. They were, you know, because there's so many people out there who had come without much. And then here you have these persecuted Jews. And of course, we know the Roman taxation was ridiculous. Not just the Roman taxes. And then you have people like Zacchaeus who made a lot more on top of that. So you can see the reasons for why the uh, Jerusalem church was poor. And if you read Acts 11, now it's famine. So you know they're really struggling here at this point of time. And now Paul, in his efforts, you notice time and time again, Paul, in his travels, he's gathering money to take back to the church in Jerusalem. That's the context here. He's going around trying to get money as much as possible to give to the church in Jerusalem. And here he comes to this part, and the whole, basically, chapter 8 and chapter 9 gives us this amazing outline. This motivation for giving, because giving as a behavior is a characteristic of an authentic Christian. Generosity is a, 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 a behavior, a pattern of an authentic Christian. It's the most Christ-like you can ever be because, again, if you read in that same passage, because Christ himself gave of himself for us. Yeah. Gave himself for us. It's Christ-like. It's desire. It's the desire of a person who's genuinely been transformed in his spirit and responds to need when there's a need around honorable it's the proof of love you can keep going and Paul is talking to the Corinthians now and he's using the example of the Macedonians and the Macedonians become for us a model of Christian giving and sets up our own understanding as much as he's trying to teach the Corinthians we know it's trying to teach us too on how to give now again a little more about the Macedonians now the Macedonians again the part of this greater Greek 
province, Greece, you know, Macedonians are up north, the Corinthians are down south. The Macedonians are very different. Corinth was affluent. Okay, it was like a commercial center, what do you call this, a cosmopolitan. Macedonians not, and church historians tell you that, uh, not churches, just historians will tell you that the Romans were extremely brutal towards the Macedonians. Extremely br brutal towards the Macedonians, you know, they literally stripped the country off of, of everything. And they treated them closest thing to slaves, even though they weren't slaves. And so you see, this whole Macedonian region was in great poverty, yet this church becomes an example of authentic Christianity because of their generosity. It's quite startling. Again, you remember, Jerusalem church is struggling. There's so much poverty. There's, there's famine. And now he's saying, hey, now he's appealing to the Corinthians. And if, if you read uh, the whole, I mean, Corinthians, you'd realize what happened. This church was giving. They were being generous. But we know that people had come into the church and turned the people against Paul. And because of that, they stopped giving. So Paul is saying, hey, 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 no, keep giving. And that's why he, sh he gives all his lists. So that's part of what's happening in the Corinthian church too. Anyway, the, the, uh, their offerings had ceased or the giving had ceased. And so now he's in encouraging them again. Hey, let's go. You got to give. Look at the Macedonians. Come on, let's give. And so you see and he portrays uh, pictures for us. Giving as authentic Christianity. Giving follows the pattern of Christ who, he, who himself, who gave himself to us. Sorry. Who gave himself to us. Giving. Number one, let's look at what the characteristics are right here. In the Macedonians. Their giving was motivated by the grace of God. The giving was motivated by God's grace. Their giving was motivated by God's grace. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know the grace that God has given the Macedonians. No, it doesn't mention directly giving, but it implies that. Because if you come down to verse 3, it says they gave entirely of their own. That's what he's talking about. The grace of God. He doesn't make a direct reference to giving here, but we know he's referencing the idea that they given. And how did they give? Why did they give? The motivation factor was simple. It was the grace of God that was shown to them. That's why they gave. That's why they gave. And it's very that it's important because that is the starting point of giving. That is the starting point of generosity. The primary motivation for our generosity is not human kindness. It's the grace that God has shown each and every one of us. The primary motive for their giving is not human kindness, just because they feel bad. Now, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't uh, a desire to satisfy the conscience. You see people, you know, they give money just to, so that they don't feel bad about themselves. They give. It wasn't a desire to do well. What motivated them was the grace of God that was working in their hearts, and it produced generosity. Generosity. Here's the thing. This kind of giving that we see in the Macedonians is not normal. It's not normal. It's not just human giving. And that's the point that Paul is trying to say here. Because it is coming from something far beyond just a human ability to give. Yes, and I'll be, we all have to admit that even though man has fallen, we still have the image of God imprinted on all of us. And yes, there is generosity. We see generosity in people around us. 
who are not Christians. We see people who are generous. But let me say this. When it comes to the ideal of generosity, that doesn't even compare to what it is. You, I mean, because very often, let me say this, people's generosity, very often, in most of the case, it stops short of being sacrificial. I know a lot of generous people who give a lot, but it doesn't change. They are not willing to change the way they live their life sacrificially in order to give more. There's a difference. Again, I'm not saying they're not good people. They're good people, but it doesn't qualify to what the Bible is telling us about, really. You know, and this is what we see in the Macedonians. The Macedonians giving is prompted by the transformation that's brought about through the work of grace in their hearts, the sensitivity to a new life. You talk about transformation, the sensitivity to a new life, the longing for godly things, loving heaven more than earth, desiring to fulfill kingdom principles more than anything else. What's, that's what's behind their giving, that grace, the sanctifying work of grace in their lives, the transformation. You know, that's what causes this transformation comes you know, to believers that happens in our lives because of God's grace. The transformation isn't seeing what the kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom more than anything else. The transformation that causes believers to see their desires on things above, set their desires on things that are above, not on things of the earth. The transformation that's happening in their lives leads us to love God more than love the world. It leads us to die to ourselves and take on the nature of God himself. I will never become God, but take on his characteristics. The transformation causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and for things of God. The transformation makes us long for the word of God, to obey the word of God and to follow the Holy Spirit. That's all the transformation that happens and a lot of it, an aspect of that is generosity. That's part of the transformation that happens. Generosity, if you can call it this, is a side effect of grace. It's a side effect of a transformed life, a life that has genuinely been touched by the grace of God. That's generosity. Generous giving is a side effect, sanctifying grace, as someone said. And that's how I give generously, sacrificially, because we know that lies at the heart of God himself. Church, the grace, the grace of God operating through love. Let me put it this way. When you understand the love of God, and we totally will not understand it, but as we grasp the love of God more and more and more in our lives, we cannot help but be generous. That's the transformation that happens in our lives. And again, it's interesting that Paul, when he points out to the Macedonians, he's not saying how good they are. What's he pointing at? He's pointing at the grace of God working in their lives. He's not saying, hey, see how generous they are. He's saying, hey, look at God working in their lives. And that's what we got to remember, that giving transcends, uh, that's my second point, their giving transcended their difficult circumstances. Giving was in response to the grace of God, motivated by the grace of God, but the giving also transcended their circumstances. It says in the midst of a very severe trial, the giving was in the midst of a very severe trial, a great ordeal of affliction, another translation says. Difficult circumstances had no effect on their generosity. That's a challenge. Well, you know, 
you know, they didn't say, well, you know, we're in a very difficult circumstance. We've become Christians now. We don't know what the economy is going to hold. We don't know what it's going to do next or how the Romans are going to treat us now that we're Christians. No, it wasn't a question of that at all. We don't know if we're going to have enough for tomorrow. That didn't affect their generosity one bit. Severe trial, it says. Severe trial. They weren't anxious for all that because they believed my God will supply all my needs. Severe trial, great ordeal. Again, the idea, is the idea is that it is really, it's like a mega trial, if you want to call it that. Mega trial, severe trial. And the idea of trial there is the testing, the idea, the word picture association is that fire, the metal that's refined and tested in fire. That's how bad it is. But yet in the midst of that, they have generous, generous spirits. And it says, actually, one scholar suggests that, tells us that it got so bad in Macedonia that the Romans actually stopped taxing them just sat so that the people could live and survive. That's how bad it was, the circumstances they were in. That's how bad it was, the situation they were in. They were persecuted and everything else, crushed mentally, physically, spiritually, yet that did not affect their generosity. It's challenging, church. In the midst of all this, there is no poor me mentality. There is no poor me mentality. There is no why are you asking me. We've got our own problems here. There's no, men, there's no uh, inclination that they even thought that way. Yeah. Intense suffering, yet they give because that's what authentic believers do. Amen. Our giving is not dependent on the situation we are in right now. It's dependent on God's grace and rises above the circumstances we live in. And that's exactly what we see right here in Macedonian, the Macedonian church. In the case of the Macedonian church, they passed that test with an A+. You know, when it says consider hardships as work. Testing of your faith. And they passed that test at A+, I guess. They weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about others before their own needs. And, and that's the amazing part, you know. They had never met the people in Jerusalem before. They had never met, yet they give so sacrificially in the midst of the most severe trial to a group of people they have never even met before. That's pretty amazing. Motivate them, motivate them by the grace of God or the grace of God working in their hearts. You see that their giving rose above the situations. Third thing here, you notice here that they, it was overflowing joy when they gave. Overflowing joy. Another element of giving is that giving is a joy. God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is a joy. You might say, well, they, had, they gave out of duty or they gave out of pressure. You know, they gave because they felt bad or they felt guilty. No, they gave it out of joy. It's pretty amazing. They didn't give because they were scared God is going to punish them. They gave because of joy. With joy. They weren't just, you know... Just do enough. They overflowed in their generosity because of the joy they had in their heart. Yes. The joy they had. They weren't just willing to do it for the sake of doing it. They were happy in doing it. 
happy, joy. It's just, it's, there's no sense of reluctance that you see at all here. It's joy. They gave with abundance, the abundance of joy. And of course, we understand the idea of abundance is this, it's surplus. It's the surplus that he's talking about when he talks about abundance. One commentator says they made, they made a joy of robbing themselves. And I just laughed when I read that. It's just interesting. They were happy to rob themselves. That's what it's trying to say here. That's how deep their devotion to Christ, to the kingdom of God, to the church, to the brothers and sisters that they had never met, that was so devoted to them that it rose up, joy rose up as they gave to them. It's just pretty amazing. Joy in spite of, we know the situations were bad already. They were in, were bad. But they were still joy. And it was like this deep, deep joy that was untouched by the situations they were in. I mean, I think they understood what Paul has said when he said rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Yeah. That's the point right there. They had the joy in laying up the treasures in heaven. They had the joy in seeking the kingdom of God. They had the joy because they understood the principle that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Joy in knowing God, that God is no man's debtor, that God, you can never outgive him. And that's why they had joy in giving. That's the attitude that God wants, church. Please understand that as we give. The fourth characteristics of their faithful giving, again, is the same thing. They had hard situations, but they also realized that they were in poverty. They were in poverty. Their giving was not hindered by the poverty. Their giving was for the grace, by the grace of God. They, the giving was in spite of the situations they were in. They given because they had joy. They gave now in spite of their poverty. That means they did not have enough. They did not have much. They gave out of their severe trial. They gave with abundant joy. And now they gave in, of, in spite of, and the word is extreme poverty. Extreme poverty, high taxes, high rent, slavery, persecution. We talked about all that. But now they had, please realize that they had very, very, very little. Deep, the word extreme is deep poverty. Out of the depths of poverty. You talk about at the bottom of the pit, that's what he's talking about right there. That's the poverty he's talking about. And the word poverty itself is the idea, is the same word used when you talk about Lazarus, who's that beggar. You know, he's got sores and the animals are licking, the dogs are licking his wounds and he's begging for mercy. That's the same poverty he's talking about. It's a poverty where you run and hide and you're so ashamed because you don't have anything. Destitute. Yeah. Out of that, they gave. They did not allow the fact that they had nothing to stop them from giving to God. Now that's so unreasonable to our minds. Mm -hmm. but that's exactly what Christ demands. So it refers to a person, like I said, who was a beggar, who basically had nothing beside the bare minimum, yet they gave generously. Yet they gave generously. Like I said, they believe Jesus when he says, give and it shall be given to you. They understood the principle of press down, shaking together, and running over. They understood that point. They understood that, and they lived by faith and not by sight. That's the point right there. They held in the hand the promises of God, and they're willing. They trusted God, and they obeyed. Now, God would come through for them. Yes. The number of people I've met, and you know, if I had more, I'd give more. I don't believe that for one second, because that's not true. That's just fooling yourself. I'd give more if I had more. Giving is not the matter, church. 
It's not, it doesn't, let me put it this way. Giving is not a matter of what or how much you have. It's a function of your heart. It's not how much you give or how much you have. It's about your heart. Authentic Christians don't need more because they don't wait for more to give. They give from their poverty like the widow that Jesus commends who has those two coins. It wasn't the amount. What was he looking at? Her heart. That's what he looks at. If you are faithful, you are faithful. That's it. It's your heart that he's bothered about. How much is not the issue. It's faithfulness. Amen. Generosity is a hard issue that does, and get, doesn't matter if you have little or you have more or much. Faithfulness is a hard issue and they gave even though they barely had enough to live on. Whatever they have, they gave and they gave a little extra. And that's the model for a Corinthian church which was extremely affluent compared to them. And Paul's saying, hey, now you guys can do it too. The giving is motivated by the grace of God. It transcends difficult circumstances. It was because of an abundance of joy, even though they had no relationship with people, and realized that it was a hard issue. It wasn't about how much they had. It wasn't never about how much they had. Number five, it was really, really generous. It talks about it being, their giving was, it talks about rich, welled up into rich generosity. The idea here is rich generosity. The idea, the picture is of a water, the river rises, and then it just overflows on the other side. That's the generosity. In the midst of the trying situation, in the midst of poverty, their generosity flows over the banks where it's overflowing. It can't be contained because they have joy and they understand the grace of God working in their lives. Again, please understand, they know the situations they were in. But they understood that generosity was an attitude that God looked at. A Christian attitude. Again, let me say it again. It is a heart attitude and they were rich in their hearts. That's what it talks about. Rich generosity. It's talking about their hearts right there. And the word in the Greek is kind of really interesting because the idea there is rich is about being single-minded, not double-minded when it came to giving. They were single-minded. They weren't like, oh, will I have this? Will I have that? How about this? No, when it came to giving, they were single-minded. That's what he says. They were single-minded in the following Christ and that showed in the obedience of giving. And that's absolutely amazing because double-mindedness lands us nowhere. But they were rich in terms of being single-minded. Double-minded says, well, I certainly understand your need, but I've got to take care of me too, and I would certainly love to be able to help your need, but I got needs too. Now that's reasonable. Sounds reasonable, right? But that's being double-minded. When you are being single-minded, let me challenge you here. The more you die to yourself, the more you realize that the other person is more important than just you. They understand the principle of Philippians 2, humbling yourself and becoming nothing like Christ did, having that same mindset. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. But like I said, it challenges me too. Because they weren't rich in money or rich in possessions. They were rich in being single-mindedly devoted to Christ. And it was evidenced by their generosity. 
that's what it's about. Their generosity came from being single-minded, putting others first, first, putting the purposes of God first, putting the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God first. They were single-minded in that. And they were rich, it says, because of that. Again, same thing. You use the idea of this woman coming with those two copper coins. She was rich, not because of the amount she had, but because she was single-minded in her devotion to Christ, to God. That's what it is. The poor Macedonians, though they had very little, they gave because they were motivated by, motivated by the grace of God in their lives. They gave in spite of the difficult situations they were in. They gave with joy. They gave was not hindered by their poverty. And their giving reflected the generosity of their hearts Amen. in their single-minded devotion to Christ. I think that's just an absolute amazing example. And you can go read through that whole chapter. I've only touched three verses. You can read through the whole chapter. But you realize what an amazing group of people those people were. They had so little, yet they gave generously. Now, please understand, God is not asking you to strip yourselves down to poverty level like those people, you know. He's simply saying, be faithful in your giving. That's yeah. it. Be faithful in your giving. Let it be generous. Let it be sacrificial. Because in the same measure, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, yeah. shaken together, and running over. Be faithful. Be faithful in your giving. Be generous. Because that is the mark of an authentic, authentic Christian. That is the mark of an authentic Christian. Yes, trust God, church. We live by faith, not by sight. I'm not asking you to be rash and impulsive and giving and everything else. But learn what Jesus says. It is a promise, but it's also a command. Trust and obey. Yeah. Trust and obey. Believe God and His promise and give. That's obedience. Be faithful, faithful. The Macedonians, like I said, they had a heart for God. Single-minded. If you are single-minded in your devotion for Christ, you cannot help but be a faithful, generous, sacrificial giver. Because that's a mark of an authentic Christian. Bow your heads with me at this time. There's so much here, church. I'll be honest. There's so much in this passage, but... What an amazing example of what we ought to be like. Again, it's not about they were perfect and anything else. No, but we use their example. You, I mean, the, you look at a story like this and it just makes you shake your head because it's, you know, man, I can't do that. I know I've said that I can't do that. That's why it's called a straight and narrow church. It's not. If everybody could do that, it would not be straight and narrow. It would be broad and open for everybody, right? That sets us apart. Generosity. Genuine generosity. Faithful. Generous. Sacrificial. 
It's never, please, it's never a question of how much. You need to get that. You know that. I'm just reminding you again. It's never a question of how much. It's a question of your heart. If you're faithful, you're faithful. That's it. Now don't be, I know that people have abused that and churches have abused that. These people on TV abuse that and everything else. Please don't get caught up with that. Listen to what God says in His Word. That's it. Listen to what he says in his word. Doesn't have to, you really don't need to have too many interpretations or anything of that sort. It says this pretty straightforward, pretty plain. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. church it's just it's more blessed to give than to receive do you want to be blessed simple question it's not me trying to manipulate you it's not me trying to say hey we need funds for a new something no it's nothing of that sort show my heart through this This is not any prosperity gospel. You give me 10 and it's come back tenfold. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying listen to God's word. Get your heart right because it's a heart issue. It's nothing else. If you believe that it's blessed to give than to receive because that's what the Bible says, you need to live by that. When he commands give and it will be given back to you, why do you not want to give? Why do I not want to give? Again, I'm not motivated just for the results but I know that's a blessing God has promised why won't I give it's just a heart issue church and all this is because we have genuinely experienced the love and the mercy and the grace of God tell you this, no one can ever accuse you of being too generous. God is a, because God is no man's debtor, you can never outgive God. I don't know how to say this, it's such an, something I'm so passionate about. Just trust Him and obey. Trust Him and obey my God will supply all my needs when I have more I'll give more ain't gonna happen God's grace is working in your heart life reflects in your generosity. Your giving is not dependent on the situations you're in. Your giving isn't dependent on how little you have. It's never the amount. The question is, are you willing to take God and 
trust his promise and obey his command. Trust his promise and obey his command. Let's all stand to our feet.
praise you, God. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, once again, Lord. Have your way in us, Lord. Every breath that we take, God, every moment that we're awake, Lord, our desire is, God, to, to honor you, God, and let your will be done in our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us, Lord. Already blessed us, Lord, far beyond what we can even think or imagine, God. God, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will reflect, Lord, your grace working in our lives. Thank you, God, for challenging us through your word once again, God. As you go from your church, remember you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. You want to be blessed in abundance? Start with obedience and give. Simple. I'm not going to sit here and say, God, too much blessing. I don't need any more. I'm not going to say that at all. Again, remember this. It's not the amount. It's the heart. It's not to, you don't give because you feel bad. You don't give because you feel guilty. You don't give because of compulsion. You give because you have experienced the grace of God lavished on your life. That's it. Yes, Lord, I give because I choose to believe and obey your word. That's it. Thank you, God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as, as we give a God, Lord, I pray, a God, as the churches, that you will indeed, a God, just pour out a blessing as you have promised. A blessing that we cannot contain, Lord. Press down, shaken together and running over. can trust Him today. You can trust Him today. Thank you, Father, once again. Lord, we give a joy in our hearts. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all that you have already blessed us with. I pray, O oh God, as we go from here, Lord, we'll just, just be filled with your joy once again, O oh God. It will reflect in every area of our lives. Yes, in our giving too, but in every area of our lives. Our people will see what you have done in our lives and that we can direct them to you. That your name be glorified. Yet your kingdom be established to God through our lives. Thank you, Father, once again. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. I pray, O oh God, that every day of our lives we will live Believing your word and obeying your word as well. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys.